We're going to be looking tonight in Genesis chapter 24. We're considering a short series of message on the life of Isaac, the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 7. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, "To to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath, only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter The portion of Isaac's life story that we're going to consider tonight has to do with how he obtained a wife, a bride. It is a story that is told in the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, almost twice as long as the story of the creation of the heavens and the earth. It's a story filled with romance and intrigue. Looking back across the centuries to a story and a custom that a situation and world situation far, far removed from ours. And yet uh, tonight we're going to see it in a very simple way. We'll see the story itself and we'll see the symbolism. Before we begin this, I want to mention just this to you. Uh, I'm very careful about making Old Testament passages symbolic. Saying this represents this, this represents this. You can do a whole lot of preaching that way that really doesn't have much to do with biblical truth. Bottom line is, when Moses was told, for example, to take his shepherd's staff and throw it down on the ground and it became a serpent, you say, what did that mean? It meant he threw his staff down and it became a serpent. That's what it means. Well, what about when he took it up? What does it mean? It meant when he took it up that he took it up after he grabbed that serpent by the tail and it became a shepherd's staff again. What did it mean? Well, that's what it meant. Now, there are some applications and implications we can make from that. But uh, we do so very carefully, and I'm very careful about that. And since I've brought it up for you tonight, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Uh, One time, if God would have asked Moses what was in his hand, he might have said, a scepter. Because he was a prince of Egypt. That was 40 years before. He was a prince. He was a part of the royal family. Whether he was in line for the throne, we don't know, but we know... We know that he was a prince of Egypt. But when God asked him again, what's that in your hand? It was a shepherd's staff. That's what he was. Now, when Moses' hand held a scepter, he thought he was qualified to lead God's people. But that didn't work out for him. They rejected him at 40. It's going to take him a long time to deliver Israel, killing one Egyptian at a time. It wasn't much of a plan. When Moses thought he was qualified, he wasn't. When he thought he was no longer qualified, he was. Forty years of sand and sun and solitude and sheep had qualified him to do the work that God had for him to do. But even then, even then, 
he needed to throw that thing down, his shepherd's staff. And then take it up, not the natural way, but the obedient way. You see, by taking it up from the tail, he was submitting to the power of God. So with just a brief explanation for how this works, uh, we're very careful about saying this represents this. But sometimes if we look, we can see that there was some symbolism going on. And I think this is one of those times, and I think you'll see it in the bride for Isaac. We'll notice the story itself, first of all, and how that the bride of Isaac was purposed by his father. Now, I'll admit to you that Isaac didn't argue about it anywhere a single time in this whole passage. But still, the whole issue did not begin with Isaac seeking a wife. It begins with Abraham. That's who we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 24. It begins with Abraham commissioning his servant to go and find a wife for his son. So that Isaac had nothing more to do with his finding a wife than he did with his being born. Uh, This was all a part of God's plan and God's purpose and God's provision that Isaac existed at all. After all, Abraham and Sarah were both well advanced in years and past the age of either producing or conceiving children. Uh, And yet, (laughs) they had a baby. They laughed at God about it. And so God saw to it that he was named Laughter. That's Isaac. Um, Now the Bible says that Abraham was old. That was nothing new. Abraham was old when Isaac was born. But now he says that we had this. He was well stricken in age. Well stricken. You know, the years can pile up on us for a long time. But when they start striking on us, (laughs) amen, well stricken, stricken in age. Uh, That means the years are getting the upper hand. All right. The years are winning. The years had piled up on Abraham for a long, long time. Now they're winning. And then there's this amazing statement, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. It had been a long road that Abraham had traveled. But the perspective of years then brought to light just how magnificently blessed he had been. There's a very real sense in the life of God's people. When we have to get old before we can really figure out how much God has blessed us and taken care of us. Now, we think we know that when we're young, and we do. (laughs) We do. But it takes the perspective of years for us to be able to look back and say, You know, God has just blessed me and blessed me and blessed me. God has provided for us. He's guided for us. He's protected me from this. He led us into this. Abraham was old and stricken in years that the Lord had blessed him in all things. There had been sad times. We saw that last week, like the death of Sarah. There had been failures in Abraham's life, that awful business with Pharaoh and Abimelech. There had been some bad decisions. Abraham had paid for those, and humanity still paying like Hagar and Ishmael. But over it all, God writes the summary. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. 
If you ever wonder what the Bible's talking about in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 when it says all things are working together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. And you think back to this passage in Genesis chapter 24 that says that God had blessed Abraham in all things. In all things. You see, it's not the isolated events. It's a sum total of things where we see the blessings of God. We can experience some hard times and some bitter pain. And yet we look back over the sum total of our life and we see, yeah, God has been working things together for good. Classic illustration I've used before, but we have new people and you had not heard it. I don't much care for buttermilk. I don't like it. I've never eaten flour on itself. There's a big warning sign on the side of a flour bag that says, this is raw, don't eat it uncooked. I have taken that to heart. I don't eat flour. Don't particularly care for it. I, 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 I just don't. Yeast is not something I would eat. But I'll tell you what, you start putting those things together, those ingredients together, shortening, oh, We'll have some fine biscuits after a while. It is not the isolated things in our life, folk, that determine whether we are blessed or not. All things. God had blessed Abraham in all things. And we see that blessing going on even after the death of his beloved Sarah. I love verse Genesis 26 and verse 1 and 2. Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah after Sarah died, Abraham got married again, and they stayed busy. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Six sons, in case you didn't count, were born to Abraham and his second wife, Keturah. But God had promised him a great nation. And it didn't matter how many kids that him and Keturah had, he wasn't going to be able to produce a great nation all by himself. More specifically, God had promised him a great blessing or a great nation through Isaac, the promised child. That makes the wife of Isaac a very crucial part of the plans and purposes of God. So Abraham called one of his servants, unnamed in this text, and entered into a solemn oath with him. In today's culture, if you want to seal a deal, we do it with a handshake and usually back that up with multiple signatures on multiple documents. But in biblical culture, it wasn't hand-to-hand, -hand, but hand-to-knee. Uh, his servant uh, put his hand under his thigh. And you see that several times in the book of Genesis. Uh, uh, Joseph made them swear that they wouldn't leave his body in Egypt, and they swore the same way. They put their hand under his thigh. It's a serious and solemn oath. That he would go not to the Canaanite people. Don't bring me one of these Canaanite girls for my boys. I'm not going to have that. You go back to our land, our people. And just as he was determined, though, that Isaac would not marry a Canaanite girl, he was also determined that Isaac would never see that land they came from. Isn't that interesting? Why didn't he send Isaac? Mm-mm. Isaac didn't need to see that place. Isaac was in the land that he would call home for the rest of his life. He didn't need to go back. We'll send a servant to find a wife. In verse 5, the servant then asked a very important question. 
what if I find a lady that's suitable, but she won't come with me? And that's where Abraham gives us the plan. Uh, this great old pilgrim patriarch had learned a lot about faith. And the more you study his life, the more you'll understand why he's listed in the chapter of faith. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, given such prominent coverage there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Wow. Don't you worry about whether this lady is going to come with you or not, servant. Because the angel of the Lord... It's going to go ahead of you. What a great concept. And so we see that Isaac's bride, this whole situation then, was purposed by his father. It was reliant on the power of God. It was put then under the plan and the program and the provision of God all along. God will show you the one. God's angel will go before you. This whole plan then was purposed by Isaac's father. The bride of Isaac then would be purchased. Just as it was purposed by his father, it would be purchased by the father. Verse 10, this is the bride price. Again, this is a culture far removed from ours. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. All his master's goods. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now Abraham owned herds and flocks. But that wasn't what he put in his servants' hands. He put his goods there. Many of these goods probably would we would refer to today as liquid assets. Uh, these probably were a part of the spoil that Abraham had won many years before in liberating the kings of Sodom. Uh, after they had been defeated and took such an incredible amount of goods from them. And then paid a tithe of it to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And now he sends the rest of it, whatever was left, through his servant to obtain the bride of Isaac. What are we learning from this? The, uh, the bride of Isaac would not be a big lots kind of purchase, Okay. Not going to be a bargain basement kind of deal. Uh, this was going to cost a very high price. Very high price. One of my mentors in the ministry from years ago, I won't call his name tonight, but he was, I was fond. I, I, I watched him and learned a lot from him. And, and he was, uh, even any time that we could, he had me around when he was meeting with them. And we were at a marriage one day, and I never will forget, a young man came up to him and, and after the wedding. Well, how much do I owe you, preacher? He said, well, just pay me whatever she's worth to you. <laughs> uh, I've never said that <laughs> to any young man. Uh, in fact, I... I like to do marriages for nothing, just for the record. 
The bride of Isaac, that bride price was not cheap. She was bought at a very, very high price. And who paid for it? The Father did. It's purposed by the Father. Purchased by the Father. The bride of Isaac then would be providentially determined. As we've already seen on the basis of the faith of the Father. Verse 12, then he said, that's the servant. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened. I just love it when the Bible says that. And it happened. And it happened. Before he had finished speaking. That behold Rebekah who was born to Bethuel son of Milcah. The wife of Nahor. Abraham's brother came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And sure enough just exactly as he had prayed. She offered to give him a drink and also those ten camels. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I do know I've heard that camels can drink as much as ten gallons apiece. So this was quite an offer for this young lady to make. I'll not only give you a drink, but I'll water your camels also. And through all of that then, as... The guiding hand of God was uh, very, very much at work. The fact that was clear to the servant. Verse 27. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. He had no idea. He had no idea that he was in uh, the right place. He didn't know. But he was excited to find out that not only had God led him to that woman who would water his camels, but he had led him to a part of the kinsmen of Abraham's own family. The bride of Isaac then would be won by the servant's testimony. Before I leave that, let me just remind you once again, we're talking about a culture far removed from ours. When we moved to Benton some years ago, I had three teenage boys still at home. And they were all in the girlfriend business. So I was talking to my dad at the time, and dad told me, he said, Now, you know we've got some kinfolk down there at the school. And I think uh, that, and and she called a girl's name, and, and they lived in Texarkana. I didn't know them all that well. Distant cousins. I think... She's got a girl about the age of your boys. So, of course, I told the boys. Now, boys, somewhere there in Benton School, they all got a girl that's one of your cousins. Oh, they were traumatized. (laughs) Dad, you've got to tell us. You've got to find out what's her name, what grade is she at. I've got to know who this is. They were traumatized by the concept of meeting some young girl and striking up a friendship with her and then finding out, lo and behold, that's her cousin. 
Yeah, they were cousins, Isaac and Rebecca. It was a culture far, far removed from ours. The bride of Isaac then would be won by the testimony of the servant. What an interesting plan this is. He says in verse 34 to her, I am Abraham's servant. Now, Rebekah's brother, Laban, We'll hear a lot more about it in the biblical narrative. Rebecca's brother Laban saw her return from the well. And, and see, she had already received this extravagant gift of jewelry. And he wanted to know immediately what had happened. And uh, Laban was very impressed, interested in the bearer of such treasure. But the faithful servant would not even receive their hospitality. He wouldn't even go in the house with them until he told them what his mission was. He did not speak of himself. He only spoke of his master. He told him of his master's person in verse 34. I am the servant of Abraham. He speaks of the master's prosperity in verse 35. By speaking of the great blessings that God had brought to him. He speaks of the master's progeny and telling them of the birth of Isaac in verse 36. And how that he was born, no doubt, uh, to Abraham and Sarah in their old years. He speaks of the master's purpose in verse 37 and 38. And the master's promise then in verse 39 of how the angel would go before him. And the only act of the servant that is recounted in the text then of himself was his own prayer. And that, by the way, was prayed in his mother's name. Verse 48. I bowed my head and worship the Lord and bless the Lord God of my master Abraham who led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. So all of this is laid out for us very carefully. It was the, the father who purposed this. It was the father who purchased this. It was the father who providentially determined uh, that it was time to do this and that God was going to bless them. It was then the servant who would win this girl in the father's name, Abraham's name. But in the end, the bride of Isaac was given a choice. The bride of Isaac had a choice to make. Verse 49, now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing comes from the Lord. Very astute observation considering the character of Laban. Even Laban understood that what was happening was God's doings it is a great thing when God begins to work in your life and mine in such a way that even lost people can tell that God is at work in this Laban this thing comes from the Lord we cannot speak to you either bad or good here is Rebecca before you take her and go and let her be your master's son wife as the Lord has spoken so there must be those negotiations then between the servant and the family of Rebekah. But still, she would only become Isaac's bride if she agreed to it. Laban and Bethuel, as the servant did, could easily recognize that God was in this. But verse 56. 
he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. What a great passage. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his man. Rebekah chooses to marry a man she has never met and never seen, and leaves her father's house with the servants that she hardly knew. I mean, Isaac could have had four years for all she knew. I mean, she, there was no, no way. She'd never met him, didn't know anything about him. But she wasn't completely without information. She knew that he obviously was a very wealthy man. He was a godly man. He would be able to provide for her and for her children. She knew that this was a family who inspired great loyalty in their servants. Abraham was famous in their family. They were a part of the same family. And so she had all the information she needed. Yes, I will go. So the journey began. and On that long and lonely trip across the country, going to meet and carry on the relationship with the man that she had chosen to marry. And then for the very first time, the activity of Isaac is injected in the storyline. Verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Be'er Lahoroi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. You see, the bride of Isaac was greatly anticipated. And when he saw the caravan approaching his tent, he went out to meet them. And so we get to see then Isaac interjected into the story. Isaac is going out to get his bride. When the bridegroom came out for the bride, then the bride adorned herself in the wedding garment. Verse 64, Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Verse 66, then the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. He loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Notice the verbs. The servant told. Isaac brought. Isaac took. Rebekah became. Isaac loved. It's a simple way to tell a love story, isn't it? <laughs> In the end, that's uh, how it worked out. The only thing that's missing is, and they lived happily ever after. Well, that line shows up a lot in fairy tales. But Scripture leaves it out because, of course, this story really doesn't end that way. And we'll see that in the weeks that are ahead. But for now, it is an incredible story. The servant told. Isaac brought. Isaac took. Rebekah became. Isaac loved Rebekah. Now, again, the symbolism of this story is just too rich to ignore. 
Isaac, you see, throughout Scripture was presented as a type of Abraham's greater son. Remember that Jesus is prophetically called the seed of Abraham. And Isaac, though he was indeed the seed of Abraham, was really a type, a figure of Abraham's greater son. It's none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that on prominent display on Mount Moriah when Isaac was spared and the lamb that God provided had taken his place. And we know that that represented Jesus because Jesus told us it did. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Yes, that was the lamb of God that Abraham saw. That Isaac was just a picture, a type, a figure of the greater son that was to come. Abraham's greater seed would also have a bride. And his bride, the bride of Christ. Similarly, is the purpose of the Father. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one. All things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. It is the glorious truth of the doctrine of union with Christ. So that we are joined with Christ spiritually. We are in him and he is in us. Marriage again and again is presented in scripture as a type or a figure of that. God said it all the way back in the beginning. The two, he said, shall be one flesh. Paul told us this is a great mystery. This mystery is great. But I speak concerning what? Christ in the church. Christ in the church. That glorious truth then of union with Christ is presented as God's ultimate purpose. A passage that they taught us in seminary was the key to understanding the whole Bible. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. Because this tells us in concise brief form the ultimate purpose of God. The redemptive purpose of God in Jesus Christ. To gather into one all that are in Christ. Both in heaven and on earth. In him. Other passages tells us that, yes, we'll be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. But this one talks about how we'll be in Him. And that's how that whole figure and imagery of the bride of Christ came to be. It was purposed by the Father. It was also purchased by the Father. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And let me tell you folk that our salvation was not a big lots deal. We were bought at an incredibly high price. And Jesus Christ paid it all. The bride of Christ then is providentially determined. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You see, God had chosen a simple principle. God had chosen uh, that all those who were believers in Christ would be in Christ. That ultimately we'd be joined with him. He even tells us what that purpose is. So that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. God had a plan. And he has worked that plan. And he chose that all who believed in Christ would be united with him. 
That all of those distinctions that once mattered so much like Jew and Gentile, that would be gone. Male and female, that would be gone. We'll be one in Christ Jesus. You say, I don't understand that. Good. Good. Because God has not revealed all of it yet to us. All he tells us is we're going to be like Jesus. That's enough. That's enough. We'll be fashioned and made like unto him. We'll be with him. We'll be in him. We'll be like him. And that's an eternal relationship. The bride of Christ is dependent on us making a personal response to him. Rebecca had to say yes. So did all of us. So do all of us. Galatians 3.14 puts it very plainly. The blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I'm not going to talk about that a lot tonight. Talked about that this morning. We say yes. Salvation is by grace through faith. And like Rebecca, we didn't know a whole lot about what we were getting into. I like to put it this way. I was saved when I was seven years old. Many of you were saved at an early age. Some of you were older. But regardless of how old you were when you were saved, I can tell you something that was true. All, if you were saved, then you, all that you knew of yourself, all that you knew about you, you gave to all that you knew about Jesus Christ. And the essential part that you knew about Jesus Christ is that he loved you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. That was the essential part that you knew. You knew that much about Jesus. And you gave all of yourself, all that you knew about yourself, all that you knew about your sin, all of it. You'd given all of that you knew about yourself to all that you knew about Jesus. Since then, you've learned a lot more about yourself. And you've learned a lot more about Jesus. And as we do, we just grow in our appreciation and in our wonder of his incredible love and grace. Because, you see, he knew all about us. He knew much more about us than we knew about him. But we still, by faith, we said yes. And lastly, the bridegroom, the bride of Christ, yeah, the bridegroom Christ anticipates his bride and one day... He's going to come get her. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. One day the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And what a hallelujah time that's going to be. One of the things that I look forward to myself. And I look forward to all the Baptists that I've spent my life preaching to. I look forward to that time when we can worship unencumbered, unashamed, in the fullness. Not in some kind of... Uh, a crazy way, but just in the fullness of the Spirit, unencumbered by the flesh, and we'll worship Him. <laughs> what a hallelujah time that's going to be when we all get to heaven. Well, the story of the bride of Isaac is in and of itself a great story. And things that we can learn from it along the way, just from thinking of that story. 
that where God had a purpose, God has a plan. That in this important matter that Isaac was going to fulfill because God had promised that God would make of Abraham a great nation through Isaac. And that meant Isaac had to find just the right wife. But it was not left up to him. This was the Lord's doing, and they all saw it. God was at work. Those of you who have small children, I hope you're praying right now for their spouse. If you're not, start. Start. you got teenagers. Pray earnestly. Pray a lot harder. Pray that the Lord would guide them away from the ones they need to get away from. There'll be some of those. Pray that he'll lead them to the one that he has for them. That's how you make marriage last a lifetime. When it's done under the leadership of God. But it all goes back to faith. I want to ask you tonight, have you said yes to the one? No, you didn't know him, never seen him. But you said an eternal yes to him when you received him as your Savior. Have you done that? Have you called upon the name of the Lord and asked him to be your Savior? Have you accepted him and his free offer of salvation? If not, there will never be a better moment than now for you to do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. I'm not just asking you to believe about Jesus, but to believe in Him, to believe on Him, to trust Him, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you eternal life. If you do that, He will save you. Let's stand together, please.